Good morning, New City Church. Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning. Um, just, just to reiterate one of the announcements, right after this service, we're going to have a pizza with the pastors. That'll be in the south wing. You go out here and take a left and work your way towards the back of the building. Uh, we got chairs. We got plenty of pizza for everybody. So if you are new uh, or you're not yet connected to a small group, we're inviting you to pizza after church. Even if you weren't planning on it, come on, we have enough pizza. You can, you can join us. So, uh, so we'd, love to, we'd love to get to know you and have you get to know us just a little bit, talk about uh, first steps at New City. So, okay. This is one of my uh, favorite days of the year. It's the new sermon series day. We're starting a new sermon series in New City. Who's excited about John's gospel? I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, so I, I, I always love new sermon series. It's just, it feels like a, a feast right before us and we get to start, start eating this feast as, as the weeks go by. Um, so as always with the new sermon series, I have a couple thank yous. The first is to Kristen Etherington. She does all these graphics. She makes new original graphics for us every time we do one of these. So let's give Kristen a round of applause. And then you might have also noticed New City is getting into some stage design. So this is, this is Kelsey's Anting's uh, handiwork. I know she had a little bit of help from family and that sort of thing, but can we give Kelsey a round of applause? So, so to, just to explain this, I'll explain the graphic a little bit later, but just to explain this, we're going to, the beginning of John is a unique section of scripture where Jesus is called the word. It's, it happens a couple other places in the Bible, but primarily it happens in this place. So uh, as Kelsey was designing this, we have a lot of words up here. And the note is, these are not like Bible books or, 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 or my notes or anything. I think they're just books she could find. So we don't vouch for, if you come up here and read these, we don't vouch for what's on the pages. It's just supposed to look nice. Uh, okay, so um, so as we begin with John, I wanna I wanna uh, maybe start with a kind of a story. I, it's not it's not based in reality, just a hypothetical. Um, imagine. Imagine uh, two, two people in a plane, and this is the, the, their job is to sort of patrol the ocean. They're, they fly over the ocean. Maybe it's like a military assignment or something like that. And one person in the plane uh, is, is a secular person. They're an atheist. They, they don't believe that there's really any meaning to life or anything. We just live and we die, and that's that. And the other person is spiritual. Maybe not even Christian, but, but that has, has a sense that there's a deeper meaning in the world. You can imagine their flights um, as, they're, as they're just flying over vast swaths of ocean. They'll see an island every once in a while. The spiritual person would probably look out at the ocean and say something like, gosh, look at, look at the vastness of it. Isn't it is, isn't, don't you think the meaning of this is that we're so small and there's something bigger out there and the ocean is, is here to tell us that? And then the atheist will say, nah, man, it's, it's just a bunch of water. It's just a bunch of water. It's endless water. There's no, there's no meaning in the ocean. It just is. It, it just is. And they might come upon an, an island and, and, they might, and, and the, the spiritual one would see the island and he would say, oh, isn't that a picture? It's a picture of loneliness, just being all by yourself in this vast ocean. It, doesn't, that, doesn't that speak to you uh, about how, how you feel when there's nobody else around? And the non-spiritual guy says, that's just an island. It's a rock that popped up out of the water. This, this little debate can go on and on forever and ever. But the, 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 the question at the bottom of all these questions is, how do we know? How do we know who's right? Not, not just with the fundamental question of is there a God or is there meaning in the world, but, but, but how can we know for certain that we're living our lives in the way that we ought to be living? Which one's right? Is it just you live and you should just have, have fun and pleasure as much as you can and then you die? Or is there something more? And if this guy's right, how would we know that? 
I, I bring this up because we are about to uh, encounter, we're about to study and dive deeply into what's called a gospel. The word gospel means good news. And so in the gospels, all four gospels in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, claim to have something for us, something that answers questions that we might have. They have news for us. They're delivering uh, something to us that has happened. And as a result, we need to respond to that news. And that news isn't just an invitation. That news is the undergirding of everything that we know. It's, it's truth itself. That's what these gospels claim to do. And, and, and John does it in, in maybe a more unique way than any other, any other uh, writer in the New Testament. So here's the outline for today. Um, uh, we're just going to cover the first two verses in John. We're going to be in the first 18 verses for, for the next seven weeks. So we're going go, to take our sweet time through this introduction, then we'll pick up the pace a little, a little bit. We'll be in and out of this series, though, over the next several years. If, if, uh, if Jesus doesn't come back, that's the plan anyways. Um, so so, so it's, it's a big old book, and there's a lot to cover, um, but we're just going to tackle the, the very first two verses today, and here's how I want to do it. Um, I want to give you just a basic introduction to John. Um, I, I always love the first sermon in the series because I can just gush about all the stuff that I've learned. This book is so big and vast, I need six sermons to do that. So I'm not going to give you everything today. I couldn't possibly, but we're going to start unraveling a little bit as what, what is this good news? What has John given us and how do we need to respond? So we're gonna ju- I'm just going to give you the very basic introduction to John. I wanna, secondly, I want to talk about how to start a gospel. How do you begin the good news? And then thirdly, why Jesus is the word in John 1. So we're going to talk about uh, just a basic intro, how to start a gospel, and why Jesus is the word. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, would you join me in prayer? And then we'll open up, open up the word. God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could, uh, again, lift our voices to you and praise you and worship you. God, um, I, I pray that, that when we do that, our hearts would know you are worth uh, every note. You are worth every accolade, every praise that, that we give you. Lord, we want to worship you now as we turn to your word and as we turn to your gospel um, to discover what it is you have for us in this particular word, but also to praise you for who you are. Lord, we know this is the story of Jesus Christ, how he came and died for us and rose again that we might have life. So God, we praise you that we have a good book, a good news to open page one this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before, before we do open our, our Bibles, I'll, we'll, we'll get to the reading. Um, this is actually, I mean, I have the verse memorized. This is just kind of a prop for this morning, but I'll, I'll open it just so that you guys feel comfortable. But, um, uh, but we'll talk about the word, don't worry. It's just a very small piece of the word, which is a relief to me because we just got out of Joshua. I, in one sermon, I preached 10 chapters. It's like you feel like you're flying. We're slowing down today, okay? Um, okay, so just uh, let me give you a basic introduction to this book. Some of you may know some of this. Some of you may be totally new. So John, the apostle, wrote it. If we're uh, pinpointing him in the Last Supper, he's there, right? Um, he is, he is uh, one of Jesus' inner three uh, apostles. He was one of the 12 that was with Jesus in his, in his three years of ministry. This is the whole book of John at a glance. Uh, every word is up there. You can kind of see the little chapter divisions. It just helps us to get our bearings. Um, the, the outline of John is pretty simple. There's a prologue at the beginning. That, that little section in gold, that's the 18 verses we're going to spend the next up all the way up through Easter. We're going to spend the, the, the next uh, several weeks in the prologue. And then he has an epilogue where he ends. 
He also, like many other gospel writers, he would divide his work into two major sections. The first section talks about the ministry of Jesus Christ, his life on earth. Um, and so the, the, then usually the, the, the second, third, or even half in some of the gospels is dedicated to the death of Jesus. Each one of the gospels is, is a form of biography about Christ. Now, these are specific John words. He would call the beginnings of his ministry signs, signals, things that we're supposed to look at that Jesus does that tell us something about him. And then throughout the book, he talks about the hour of Jesus, which is referring to the hour of his death. You'll hear Jesus in John's gospel say, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. It's, he's waiting for it. They're, they're marching towards it. And then uh, when, when he's betrayed, that the, when he's about to die on the cross, the hour has come. So that's just, that's just kind of a, a little, a little um, outline for you. And the only other thing I sort of want to do in terms of overview, in terms of telling you about John, is this is a peculiar gospel. Of the four gospels, this one is different, is, is more different than the other three. In fact, they lump all the other three together. They call them the synoptic gospels. And then John gets a category of its own. And one of the distinct features of this gospel that's really interesting about it is that it sort of operates on two levels. Somebody get that? <laughs> all right. It operates on two levels. Um, John speaks very simply. He uses short words. He doesn't get fancy. And he repeats the short words that he uses. Those words are very important to him. They're full of meaning, and he uses them often. Words like light and life and believe and witness. Little words like that are really important to John. So John is interesting in that it's very simple to read. It's not complicated. But it's also probably one of the most thorniest, profound, deep uh, gospels that we have. So here, here, here's a for instance. Um, John is where the ver first verse that any kid ever learns, the, the, the most popular verse in all the Bible, the, the, the most uh, uh, distilled, simple version of the gospel is in John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. A kid can understand that. God loves you, and he loves you so much he gave his son. His son died so that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. Very simple. There are many simple verses in this book. So if you're not brilliant, if you're a simpleton like me, you're going to enjoy John because it's, it's, it's very readable. Um, I am the way and the truth and the life. Three little jam-packed words. We find them in John. And yet John is also um, uh, very complicated. It, 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 it's simple words, but it's not as though he's, he's dumb or that his audience is dumb. In fact, he's inviting us to read and reread and reread the things that he's written because of the depth there. There's a lot in those little words. As I was studying this book, John is sort of a battleground. If you are a brilliant theologian, if you're a big intellectual, a lot of them gravitate towards this book, and they fight over everything. They fight over when it was written. They fight over who wrote it. Did John, was John aware of the Hellenistic writings in his, in his day and age? Was it written by Gnostics? Was it written against the Gnostics? How much of the Hebrew Bible did he know? It's, it's uh, one of my commentaries. I usually read the intro to prep for this sermon, right? The intro was 250 pages. The introduction to the book. I was like, I don't got time for this. I can't, I, I can't dig into all these controversies. So, so this book is, is a battleground for, for deep scholarship. People who give their lives to studying the Bible, a lot of times will gravitate towards John because there's so much there. And yet, 
A kid could read that and understand it. So we're going to talk about that a lot. It operates on two levels, the simple and the profound. Um, a child could read it and a scholar could read it. This is, a, this is a popular quote about the book of John by Leon Morris. He says, The gospel of John is like a swimming pool, shallow enough that a child may wade and deep enough that an elephant can swim. So we're going to try to do both today, especially in our first verse. We're going to try to look at the simple meaning of the opening to John, but also what's, what's, what's the depth there. So that's, that's all we have for um, uh, uh, just kind of a basic intro. Now you know where we are. Fourth book in the New Testament, we're in John. Let's talk about how to start a gospel. So four men had this proposition. As, as the Spirit is moving in them and they sat down to write the story of Jesus Christ, they had to have an opening line, a first sentence. Um, he, these, are the, these are the four men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've already done a series in Mark. Uh, this was, was one of the first sermon series we did in the church. Who was here for the Mark series? So we got a Mark's throwback slide. Everybody remember this slide? No, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> um, it's, it's just one, the one verse. So this is how Mark... Mark, which many believe to be the first person to write a gospel, this is how he decided to begin his gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the one thing we talked about in Mark is those two titles, the Christ and the Son of God. Mark gives away the answer in the first line, but then the, next, the rest of the gospel, people are trying to figure out who is Jesus, who is Jesus. And in the middle of the book, Peter gets the first part of the question right. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. So, so Mark gives us the answer at the beginning, and the mystery doesn't get solved. Half of it gets solved halfway through. And then at the very end, um, the, the, the Roman soldier who's at the foot of the cross gets the second half of that title. Truly, this man was the Son of God. So as Mark is telling the story of Jesus, he wants to show you how people were struggling with understanding who this man is. We get it, page one, and people just couldn't make sense of who Jesus was. Matthew begins in a totally different way. The, I, the, the print is small. You don't have to read it all. But he begins with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, da 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 uh, It would be common in, in, ancient, in ancient literature, if you were going to write a story about a person, you start with the genealogy. Because we need to know why is this person important in the first place. Was he a son of a king? Was he royalty? Was he a, a famous soldier? Was he brave? That, that sort of thing. So, so Matthew begins by establishing Jesus is the son of David. And you can see uh, there's Rahab from the last sermon series. Everybody wave to Rahab from the last sermon series. There she is. Hey, you got, some of you actually did it. <laughs> so yeah, so she, so she pops up. She pops up in the genealogy. We, we, just, we just read about Rahab and that sort of thing. Luke does the same thing, not at the very beginning, but Luke has a uh, genealogy as well, where he's tracing Jesus' uh, ancestry back. And that was just a common thing. Why should we care about Jesus? Well, you should care about him because he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Luke goes all the way back, if you can read at the very bottom, the son of Adam, the son of God. He him all the way back to God. But let's read the beginning of Luke to see how you might consider starting a gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty uh, concerning the things that you have been taught. That's how Luke's gospel begins. So when he put pen to paper, the spirit moved him to write what I would call looks like the opening of a letter. He's addressing a person. He's saying, this is what I've done. I've done all the research. I've compiled the stuff about Jesus and I've given it to you so that you can know, Theophilus, that these things are true. And that 
we might not talk exactly like this, but this, this could be how you and I would start a letter or an email. This is what I've done. Here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to lay all this stuff before you. It's, just a, it's, it's, it's an introduction to a person in a correspondence. That's how three, three men chose to start their Gospels. And these are all standard things. Start with the genealogy. Start with your purpose. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That sounds different, doesn't it? It sounds very different. John is doing something different. He's different than all these. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us who he's writing to. He doesn't, he doesn't give us the, 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 the main idea necessarily. He starts almost as if he knows he's writing scripture. You, 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 if you know your Bible at all, you're familiar with in the beginning. John goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So just to point out something here that you can, you can observe with the naked eye. I said John operates on two levels, the simple and the profound. Look at this sentence. It's, it's simplicity itself. How many words? It's two sentences long and he's repeating several words. Beginning shows up several times. Word, God. That's, that's all he's after. That's all, those, those main ideas are all that he's after. So, so this is how the book of John begins. And I want to spend a bulk of our time answering the question, why did he choose to begin this way? It, specifically, why is Jesus the word? What does, he, what does he mean by that? So this is where I do, I, I'm going to enjoy going slowly through these texts because we can camp out on some of these words. They're, they're very important. So the first word we're going to camp out on is word. Um, and maybe you've, you've never done this, but have you ever tried to define word and not use the word word? It's very hard. I've t- I attempted to do it. I'll show you here in a second. Um, the, the, the word itself, though, is, is, is logos. Um, and, and if you went to Blue Letter Bible, some of you are learning uh, how to study your Bible in the morning module. If you went to Blue Letter Bible, you'd, you'd get essentially these three definitions, a, a word or a saying. Uh, uh, so, so just like, like how we would use the word word, like a single word, like antelope or casserole. Do you need another example? Pizza. I'm going down the food path. Burger. Those are all words, right? It's, it's, so the, the, the Greek word can be used for just the simple, plain old word. It can also mean reason or of the mind. Maybe that's a, a, a more grandiose definition of it. Um, my word to you is this. I might not be talking about an individual word. I'm talking about maybe a message, uh, an important message. And then finally, Jesus Christ uh, would, would be where, where, where we're headed. But I want to I look at how, how um, some of these people might define a, the word. So John is writing this approximately 70 to 80 years after um, the events that he's written about. Um, or rather, after, after the birth of Christ. Um, and so, John operates at two levels. He says that Jesus is the Logos, the Word. How would a child hear that? What, 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 would, what would a child understand that to mean? Well, this is my dumb definition of what a word is. A word is a word. word words are letters that are put together and they're used to communicate. They're somewhere in between letters and sentences, right? It's the simple definition. So on, lo- on one level, John wants us to think about that. Jesus is like a word. He is a word to, to us. 
Um, the, if you want the fancy definition of a word, uh, a single distinct meaningful element of speech or writing used with others, or sometimes alone, to form a sentence and typically shown with a space on either side when written or printed. That's the better one, but mine was shorter. Letters put together. That's what a word is. So we all know what a word is. It's a funny thing to call Jesus. Jesus is like a word, okay? So um, that might be confusing to a child. How would a Greek person understand this? So we don't know if John was into the philosophers in ancient Greece. We don't know how much he knew about that stuff. But for sure, when he wrote this gospel and sent it out across the Roman Empire, there would have been, the word logos is not just, does not just mean the child's definition of word. To the Greeks, uh, there, there's maybe a couple different versions of this, but they would view the word as like the source of all things, or energy, or even reason, or possibly wisdom. The logos is 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 it's it's in the air. It's what it's it's why we're here. It gives us wisdom. It's how we act upon the natural world. But it's 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 an unthinking thing. So best I can do, it's it's the force in Star Wars. It's not Yoda. It's the force that he's using. If you know the Star Wars world, it's just this powerful force that, that, that runs everything in, 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 in all the galaxies, um, but it's not a person. You don't talk to the force, but you summon it and it makes things move. That's what the Greek would call, call the logos. They believed in something like that, 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 that because we have minds and we can, we can think and, and move and all that sort of thing, there's, there's something that we're tapping into. They called it the logos. So John starts his gospel saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By verse 14, we're going to find out the Word is, is Jesus, who's, who he's talking about. If you're a Greek person, you're going to say, you're going to think, wait a minute, Jesus is the underlying principle in all the world? He's the, he's the reason that we're here, and he's the power behind everything? To, to, to somebody who's reading this, this book for the first time in that culture, that's what they would have heard. Jesus is the, he's, he's the force, somehow. How would a Jew have, have heard the word, word? Now, for the Jew, that word meant even more. Because if you were a Jew and you had the, the Old Testament where, where your scriptures, the word is how God creates, how he reveals, and how he saves. To the Jewish people, God's word was extremely valuable. We get it on page one of your Bible. God said, let there be light, and there was light. We, we, we pause on this idea at every starting point. Stop and think about it for a minute. God speaks and it was. Parents, is that the way that your house works? You speak and it's so. Clean the room and it's cleaned. No, my word has way less, far less power. I feel like I have to speak it 10 times so that it might be done, right? And then I have to do it myself. We are weak, finite beings. And in the page one of your Bible, it says God speaks it. And it, and it is. Listen to this. In Psalm 33, it gets better. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Have you ever done the nerdy deep dive into how big our universe is and all the galaxies and all the stars? What does Psalm 33 say that was to God? Was that a hard day for God and he's just sweating it out? It's like, golly, why did I choose to, to make billions of galaxies? No, it's a breath all, everything. That was, that's, that's his word. He says it, he breathes it, and it's powerful. So remember, Jewish people are reading the gospel of John 2, and he, and, and he says Jesus is the word, the, the power, the, the, the creating power of God. Not only that, 
in the Old Testament, the word is how God would speak to his people. Uh, I, I, I had many examples of this, but after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward uh, shall be very great. Wasn't that a good word for him to get that day? Jeremiah, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So this is another development here in our Bibles. God is not just the one that breathes life into all of us, just speaks it and it's so. He, he communicates with us. The words come to the prophets. The word of God came to Abraham. It's how he's revealing more about himself to his people. So it's how he creates. It's how he reveals. It's also how he saves. He sent out his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you understand what this word means to them? It's how they came into being. It's how God reveals truth to them. And it's how he saves them. When you're crying out to God, asking for help, you are asking for a word. God, give me a word. Your word can accomplish anything that you want. Make it a saving word. Come down and save me. So imagine the weight of that opening sentence. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The Jews were people of the word. They taught their kids the word. They needed to learn it. They needed to obey it. There were, there were sins you could commit and seek forgiveness, but to forsake the Torah, to forsake the word, meant that you, that you were totally excommunicated. They, 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 they revered the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees knew the word. So this is, this is the all-valuable thing to them. And yet, they would never have said, the word is God. It's, it's, a, it's detached from him somehow. It, it's, it's, an unthinking, it's an unthinking thing. So this is, why, this is how John operates on two levels. We read that opening line. We forget about who might have originally read it. If you're a, a child or a simpleton, like myself, you're just like, what do you mean he was a word? Like a single word? Like an individual word? The Greeks thought of him as the force, uh, like, like Jesus is the force. He's behind, uh, underneath all this. And the Jews would have thought, oh, he's, he's essentially all the things of, of, of how God inter interacts with us. Let's look at the verse itself and explain what John means by Jesus is the word. So the first thing he says is, in the beginning. And this is the most childlike way to open your Bible. That's the very, if you were a little Jewish kid, you might not do very well in Sunday school or Hebrew school, I guess. You might, you might not be the most astute student, but you know that verse. You know the word, they, they would label the books of the Bible based on what the first few words in the sentences were. So the, the word Genesis literally means in the beginning. So when John starts his, his gospel by saying in the beginning, he is inviting us to go all the way back to the, to the, to, to the creation. And it's the, it's the most simple story that any kid would have known in the beginning. Now, as opposed to in Genesis where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we just see in the beginning was the word. So that means that the, before that great act, before he breathed it and all the, the galaxies came to be, before he did that, the word was. And the verb tense means the word was already there. So Jesus was not one of the things that God created in the very beginning. It wasn't, I'm going to make Jesus and then angels and then light and darkness. No, it says in the beginning. Genesis only imagines that point in time. John goes back even before that. The word was. 
He just was. Jesus was before time. Think about that. Before there was such a thing as when, there, there was a time, I can't even talk about it intelligently. At some point, no, that's a time thing too. There was a time where you could, the word when didn't make any sense. There was no time. And there was also a time where the word where didn't make any sense. There was no space. There was no where or location. Jesus was around then. You can't, it, it, it starts to bend how much we can imagine. Jesus was before everything. Jesus always was. He was before creation. And then it says, there's just these three phrases in that first verse. So Jesus was before all of it. He always has been. He is eternal. And the word was with God. So um, the with there is not maybe a great translation because we think of that as like, um, uh, uh, okay, I went to a party. Well, who was with you? Uh, So-and-so was there and -and so-and-so. When we use that word, a lot of times it means they're just like, we're we're standing side by side. You're with me here in this room. It's not a super intimate uh, um, description, but we're all in the same room together. You're with me, I'm with you. A better, a, a literal translation would be, the word was continually toward God. So it's not, that, it's not as though they're side by side, but they're face to face. He is face to face with God the Father, and he is for him. His disposition is he is inclined towards the Father. So not only is he with the Father from all creation, uh, history past, he also is for him. So there's a, a relationship here. The word has a relationship with God. And then finally, and this, this would have been the kicker, and the word was God. And it doesn't mean the, the word or Jesus was divine. There's a way better way to say that in the Greek. If it just wanted to say he's some kind of holy or he's some kind of divine, there was a way, there's a way better way to say that. It also does not say what, what the Jehovah's Witness would insist it say, and the word was a God. No, if you want to say in Greek, and the word was God, you would write it exactly how John wrote it. The word was God. And so, if you start to think about that, that Jesus himself not only was with God in the beginning, not just with him, but facing him towards him, in relationship with him, loving God God the Father, he also is God, we begin to get to the bottom of what John means by word. It's Jesus Christ himself, and he is the supreme revelation. God revealing himself in a way he's never done before, through, through a man. So let me make that really practical for you. You, you, you. you probably know several stories in the New Testament about Jesus walking on water or healing the sick or, or, or scooping up little kids in his arms. Here's what this means. When Jesus Christ picks up a little kid and puts him on his lap, God is picking up a little kid and putting him on his lap. When Jesus says something, when he says, repent, when he says, come to me, God is saying, repent, come to me. God is revealing himself in a way he never has nor will again through a person, through a man. In other words, it's his word to us. God's word to us is Jesus. Maybe the, the, the author of Hebrews was less uh, was a little bit more descriptive in this. This is how the author of Hebrews decided to open his book. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So that was what, you know, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's who Jesus is. And that's what John means when he says this. So take all those people that could have possibly been listening to it. John turns it up more. To the Greeks, he's saying he's not just some powerful force, some unthinking force. He's, he's a man. He's a person. And to the Jews... He was saying, it's not just that he comes from God and that he's holy, like God is holy. He was God. He is God. It's the person of God. And then to the child, to the child's definition, this is what that means. Everything God wanted to say to us, he put in a man. This is, this is the word from God. And I want to get to the practical at this point and, and ask you, are you at a place where you could really use a word from the Lord? W- wouldn't that be great if, if when you have a problem, God himself, like he does in those Old Testament stories, would come down and speak to you? No, don't do that. Stop dating that person. <laughs> Take the job. Move. Don't move. We have all kinds of, of things where we're like, man, if only I could get a word. I wish God would just tell me. And sometimes they're very serious. Am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? Is my, beloved, is my, is my loved one going to make it? Are they going to survive? Is this going to end terribly? We really, as, as, as a race, from the littlest prayer request to the biggest, we are crying out for a word. God, tell us something. We want to hear from you. And John, in a really beautiful way, opens his gospel and says, God has given you a word. It might not be the, to the exact question that you're answering, but it's, it's underneath that. It's more uh, profound. It's more uh, um, at the base of what, what we're after. When you want to know if you'll be okay or if you're going to survive this, you want to know something deeper, something about the meaning of life. And God here in his word is saying, I have spoken to you and I am speaking to you and I'm doing it through him. Everything God wants to say to us, he has said through Jesus Christ. That doesn't throw out the rest of the Bible. There's other details, obviously, that we don't get from Jesus. And the word, the, the physical word is still crucial in our lives. But listen to, what, listen to this truth. God speaks to us through his son. Isn't that better than how they used to get the word? When, when, when God would speak to the prophets and all of Israel would say, ah, I don't think so. Nah, he's crazy. Uh, no, that's too, that's too harsh against me, right? What we need as, as simple children We need it in a person. We need to be able to talk with this word of God, to interact with him. And that's what's on these pages. That's what John has done. He sat down and said, this is what God has shown us. What God wants to reveal to you, he has revealed in his son. Now the revelation is sometimes beautiful and encouraging, and sometimes it's devastating. When we look at the person of Jesus, one of the first things we observe is how how un-Jesus-like we are. He was a perfect man. He lived a perfect life. That's God revealing something to us. God is saying, do you notice something? That you're not like that? That you're sinful? That you're fallen? He revealed that through Jesus. We never want to hear that message. But he's showing us our sin in Jesus. He's also showing us what it could be. Like, like a good life where you, were, where you had a pure heart and where you love people. When we read about Jesus healing the paralytic and, and sitting with those kids, isn't there something in you that goes, oh, 
I wish I had that heart. I wish I had that heart. God is showing you something. He's showing you the life that he wants you to live. And when Jesus is on the cross, God is speaking to you through a man, through the cries of a man who is dying. He is saying, at the same time, your sin has brought this about. God, Jesus had to die because of our sin. And he's also saying, and I loved you enough to go all the way through with it. All the way through with dying on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. What a message. What a message. God has shown us who he is through his son. Go back to the plane. The atheist and the spiritual person, they are going back and forth. Who's to know? Who's to know if there's meaning at the bottom of everything? Actually, what, you, know, you know what would settle this? You could fly over the ocean and the ocean's not going to speak to you. You could fly over an island and the island's not going to speak to you. You know what would help? A word. <laughs> what if those two men were flying over and they saw a word? Now it's indisputable. There's something down there, right? It's not just a rock in the ocean. No, a word is a, the smallest, it's what the kid thinks it is. It's the smallest form of communication. Someone's trying to say something, and this particular person is trying to say, I'm down here, come get me. So, so not only in this example is there clarity. If you get a word, it's clear. There's also a call to action, isn't there? What's he actually saying? Help, comma, by, coming by landing your plane down here and taking me off of this island. It's a call to action, and that's what the word of God is. And so, so we, can, we can look at how the Greeks might have thought about this. Jesus is that power. He is that reason. He, Jesus is wisdom for us. And he's, he, he's a lot like what the Jews thought too. He's, he's the, the way that we live. He's God's saving power, his creating power. It's a very complicated, dense word. But what would a kid think a word is? A word's how you talk to somebody. And God wants to talk to you. And he's done it through his word. And there, you can probably remember times in your life where you needed a word a word was necessary. In this scenario, they need the word to settle it. There's no more argument that something's down there when the word comes. I remember when I asked my wife to marry me many years ago, 19 years ago. Um, I asked her, and um, she like, cried a little bit, as I recall. You can correct me if I'm getting some of the history wrong. She cried a little bit, um, and she was smiling, and I was, uh, my heart rate doubled because I was waiting on the word like, I needed, I, I was grateful that she had an emotion, but I didn't totally know what the emotion was. I need a word. Just one. Yes, right? So, 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 so it's, it's unclear. It's all mushy until I get the word. When I get the word, I know. And it's the same in all of, most of communication. You're in the doctor's office. He comes in. If he just gives you a look, does that help? No, you're on the plane and it's who's to say about what, what's going on. You need the word. If you're in battle, you are waiting on, on, on HQ to tell you something. It's not impressions and feelings. You need a word. But when the word comes, you have clarity. Now you know. Yes, we're going to get married. Whew. I didn't work all summer washing dishes to buy this ring for nothing. <laughs> right? Once you have the word, you know, and you can respond. And a kid can understand that. God is talking to you. God wants to tell you something. And he did it through Jesus. And now you know. 
You have a word from him. You don't have to be uncertain or guess if there's something underneath all of this. God has given us a word. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray. God, thank you so much. You have spoken to us in all kinds of ways. Your creation actually does tell us something about you. And so does your Bible, God. We go to it every, every week uh, for, for truth and for hope. But Lord, I'm so grateful that you chose to speak to us, to give us your word, everything you wanted to say to us through Jesus. And Jesus was not just a mere man. We know that he's not just another prophet. He is our Lord. He is God. So we praise you, Lord, that you communicate with us. God, my prayer for this church is that anybody here who needs a word, clarity on something going on in their life, or clarity on life itself, are you really there, God? Is salvation really real? Lord, I pray they would, they would read and see the word that you've given us, who is from the beginning, who is with the Father, and who is God himself. Lord, would you speak through your son Jesus as you have for, for, for ages and ages in, in the church. And for those who don't know you at all, Lord, I pray that your word would bring salvation, that, that we would follow Jesus because he is the one who will save us and he's the one who will help us live that beautiful life that, that, that he lived on here on earth and he's the one that will bring us to be with you in heaven someday. Thank you, God, for your word, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.